Amen. And go ahead and have a seat if you would. And if you've got your Bible with you, I'd encourage you to grab that. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1 this morning. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm just impressed that that was the worship set that those two threw together, like at the very last minute. Thank you guys so much. Um, and I love that song leading us into time in God's Word because, you know, there's, there's nothing that can open God's Word for us aside from God's Spirit speaking to us. And so that's what we pray for as we go into this Word together, is that God's Spirit would speak. It's not about what I've got to say. It's not about what's going on in your life. But those things get folded in to what God's Spirit is doing. Um, Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about that as we move on. Let's get into Scripture. We're in Acts chapter 1, as I said. If you've got your Bible... Acts chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 12. And this seems like a weird sermon text. All right? It's just kind of a bizarre text to read and then go into a sermon. And I want to tell you a little bit about what's going on first and how it fits into what Pastor Steve led us into so well last week. Acts chapter 1 is the intro to the story of the early church. And at the beginning of Acts chapter 1, Jesus commissions his disciples. There's a different commissioning in each of the Gospels, and we hear different versions. I think it's something Jesus said over and over and over again to his followers is, hey, I've got a job for you to do. I've got something really important for you to do, and here's what I want you to do. And in Acts, he says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then... He ascends into heaven, which is more about him taking up his authority as the risen Christ than anything else. And then we get Acts chapter 1, verse 12, and we're going to start reading there. Then they, that means the the apostles, the disciples, they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these, don't miss verses 14 and 15, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of persons in all was about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. And then they go on, and for the rest of the chapter, and I'm not going to read that for you, I would encourage you to go home and read Acts 1 today in its entirety. But for the rest of the chapter, they're dealing with leadership issues. Now, this is a little bit of a detour off the main point of where we're going, but I know many of you are in a season in your life where you feel like you're waiting. God's going to show up. He's promised you something good. He's he's made it clear this is where we're headed. It's going to be better than you can imagine. But it hasn't showed up yet. I want to tell you, Acts 1 has taught me over and over and over again that waiting for a Christian, waiting for a Jesus follower is not a passive process. If God has promised you something good and the vision hasn't been accomplished yet, don't fail. Because waiting for a Christ follower is an active process. Look at what they did in the book of Acts. They're together. 
So community is important, even if it's a blizzard outside. Thank you for being here, and thank you to those who are online. I hope that you have people that you're gathering with. If you don't have it this morning, find it this week. They're together. There's a bunch of them together. That's important. But that's not the only thing. They're united in prayer. They're praying together. If you are praying with somebody this week, take advantage of our prayer ministry after worship, please. They're in Scripture. Every time anybody opens their mouths in the first few chapters of the book of Acts, it seems like Scripture is just flowing out of them. They've immersed themselves in Scripture to make sense of what's happened in Jesus' death and resurrection. They're living in that Word, and it just keeps bubbling out of them. And they're dealing with leadership issues. Whether that's your own leadership that God has called you to accomplish or whether that is, who am I following? Who are the concrete people who are discipling me? They're dealing with their leadership issues. That's what waiting looks like for a Jesus follower, okay? And and like I said, this is a little bit of a detour. But if you're in that place, like so many of us find ourselves so often, where God has given you a promise but he hasn't fulfilled it yet, don't think you're just sitting idle. You've got active waiting to do. Okay, on to the main stuff that I want to talk about this morning. We are talking, in fact, about Church Happens at Home, and I didn't realize how that was going to happen this morning, that so many people were going to try to live that out this morning, you know, staying home and, and being the church in their own living room, which is fantastic. I'm all for that, but I'm also excited that we get to be together. This is always a highlight of my week. And the the title of this series that Pastor Steve introduced us to last week, Getting Back to God's Normal. Boy, I think there's a lot packed into that. There is so much packed into that. I don't know if you know the story about the two little fish that were swimming through the sea. These two young fish swimming on through the sea, and they're just paddling along, you know, content, happy. And there's this grizzled old fish swimming toward them, and they meet there on the pathways of the ocean. And the old fish speaks up, and he greets them, and he says, Morning, boys, how's the water this morning? And the two little fish just smile and nod and swim on past him. And once they're out of earshot, one turns to the other and says, What's water? You see, we get so immersed in normal, and most of us have had this experience with the families in which we grew up, right? You grow up in a family, and no matter how bizarre it is, you think it's normal until you have a friend over or until you move away and go to college. And all of a sudden, you look at those people who raised you and you say, what were they thinking? I don't want to point fingers, but Pastor Steve just poked his daughter. (laughs) Have you had that conversation? I had no idea how bizarre my upbringing was. And then hopefully you close the loop. Hopefully you come back and whatever's good and healthy, and none of us have a completely healthy upbringing, and some of us are so broken in that, but whatever's good and healthy, you come back to it, and hopefully you say, oh, here, here are the nuggets, here are the things I can really claim and say, I want to build on this foundation. There's things I don't want, but whatever was healthy in that. But at the time, we just think, well, this is the way everybody is. We think it's normal. And here's the thing. We do the same thing with church. So our experience of church looks 
something like this. And I'm not talking just about the open door here. I'm talking about going to church. Isn't that the way we talk about it? Like it was a place? I get phone calls just about every week and people say, Jeff, are you at church? I am totally isolated on 70 of the most beautiful acres God ever created. How do I answer that question? Am I at church? There's not another soul here. The word Pastor Steve used last week, ecclesia, doesn't refer to a place, doesn't refer to a building, doesn't refer to a heating and cooling system or a concrete foundation. It refers to people. So I'm at Decision Hills. But am I at church if I'm out here by myself? But we talk about going to church. So you get in the car and you go to church. And you get out of the car and you come up and somebody hands you a printed program. And depending on what church you're going to this morning, if it's open, you might find that there's a roadmap to the worship service in that piece of paper. And there's all kinds of announcements about how you can spend your life involved in the activities of that particular church this morning. And there might be prayer concerns in there. There might be space for you to take notes on the sermon whatever's in that, and you walk in and there are a group of professional or semi-professional or ought-to-be professional musicians up on the platform and they are leading the greatest songs to Jesus and for his glory that you can imagine. And then you get somebody who's trained in theologically interpreting the Bible in a responsible way, trained in rhetoric, trained in communication, and trained in speaking the word well, and they get up and for however long, 12 minutes, 30 minutes, 90 minutes, they preach this fantastic sermon applying God's word to your life. And then you get up, you go say hi to a few people, and you go home. And you say, I have been to church. We think that's normal. Let me say, there's almost nothing in that experience that parallels what the New Testament describes as church. Now, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying we shouldn't have a building on a day like today. Thank God for this building. Can you imagine if we were meeting down on the waterfront this morning? I'm not saying we shouldn't have great musicians. Thank God for our musicians. I'm not saying we shouldn't have trained preachers. I believe that with all my heart, that the church needs those things. But if we're going to be a biblical church, if we want to follow Jesus and do that in a biblical way, I think it's important for us to read the New Testament and say, what does it mean to do church in the way that God set it up, according to God's normal? Even listening, if you read the New Testament carefully, even our listening, I believe, is different. Pretty amazing to think about. Well, what does God's normal in the New Testament look like? One of the main things, and the title really gives this away in the sermon this morning, one of the main things is that they were meeting consistently in homes. It's not the only place they met, but take a look if you've got your Bible at Philippians verses 1 and 2. Philippians is one of the shortest books in the Bible, and to our detriment, we almost always just blip over it. So much packed into this tiny book. Philippians 1 and 2. These are the throwaway verses of this tiny little throwaway book. And what Paul says, have we got the text or just the reference? Let me pull up. Oh, we've got the excellent. Thank you so much, Peggy. 
Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, those are the people who are writing the letter, to Philemon, or Philemon, however you pronounce it either way, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church where? In your house. Well, of course. What alternative did they have? They had all kinds of alternatives, let me tell you. The Bible describes the early Christians meeting in Solomon's portico in the temple. Paul speaks on Mars Hill in Athens when they're in Ephesus and Paul is looking for a place to reason with the public there. They meet in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. There are all kinds of public accommodations where the Christians go out and they speak the word. But the primary place that church happens in the New Testament, the primary place the ecclesia gathers is in homes. I don't believe that's an accident. But so often we read the New Testament and we just blip over this. We've got to pay attention to how God laid this out. You see this in Acts 2. If you've got this little card that you got last week, and if you weren't here, there's more of these out at the info desk. The verse that was offered for you to memorize from the ends of Acts chapter 2 includes the words, they were attending the temple together. See, they had alternatives. They could be out in the big spaces. But they were breaking bread in their homes. Interesting. Interesting. In Romans 16, the last chapter of so many of Paul's letters, there's this long list of please greet so-and-so and say hi to such-and-such, and so-and-so sends you their greetings. And very often, Paul names and greet the church that meets in their house. The end of the book of Colossians. Colossians was probably written to the church that met in Philemon's house. And he says, and also greet the church that meets at Nympha's house. You see, there's more than one congregation meeting in more than one home in that community. Why is this important? Well, last week, Pastor Steve laid an excellent foundation, taking us through the end of Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit shows up. And again, as we just sang, you know, there's no church without the Holy Spirit coming and creating it. The verse that Pastor Steve cited last week from Matthew, I think it's chapter 16, where Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church. I think sometimes we miss the emphasis. On this rock I will build my church. It's Jesus who creates the church. It's Jesus who calls us together and pours his spirit into us and makes the church of us. Well, there's a crisis in that early church at the end of Acts chapter 2 where we were last week. There's a crisis because every preacher's dream comes true. Peter preaches the death and resurrection of Jesus as all preachers are called to preach. Peter preaches the word and there are three thousand converts. Now think about this. Think about this. We had in Acts chapter 1, do you notice how many people there were gathered together in that upper room? About 120, right? And all of a sudden, in the course of a day, we go to 3,120. Now I don't want to make anybody feel guilty here and that's not my agenda but think about it realistically folks can you imagine how many times some of those 120 said I miss the old days 
I miss when we were just all of us fit into one upper room and we were just gathered together and it was, it was so intimate. We were tight. We had such a shared sense. You know, you, could, you, could, you didn't even have to use the punchline on your jokes because you could start the joke and everybody knew it. We just knew each other so well. And then those 3,000 came in. This is a perennial problem for a growing church. When God shows up with favor, He creates problems for us because it destabilizes us. It is very comfortable to be part of a stable or slightly declining church. Been there, done that. That's really comfortable. But you know what? When God shows up and people's lives start getting transformed and then they invite their friends, it changes the dynamics. Praise God that it changes the dynamics because it gets us outside of ourselves and calls us beyond what we've known. Well, the the early church had a problem. How are we going to make disciples? That's what Jesus told us we have to do, is make disciples. How are we going to make disciples out of these 3,000 people? They don't know the stories about Jesus. They don't know what he did. They don't know what his voice sounded like. They don't know his personality. They don't know how to interpret his death on a Roman cross, let alone his resurrection out of a borrowed tomb. How are we going to make disciples of these people? That's our job. Jesus told us that's our job. Well, guess what? God was there ahead of them and knew how to accomplish the vision that he'd given them. So you've got 120 people who've been totally immersed in Jesus. And Luke is very careful to tell us that the 12 are there. He gives us their names. They go through, I know it was just the 11, but then they go through this very specific process of replacing Judas in leadership. They bring Matthias in, and you can read about that. So we know that the 12 were set aside. We get that sense later in Acts that they were set aside to some different kinds of ministry. And let's assume for the sake of mathematical convenience that there's probably a few others that are called to different duties. But let's say there's about a hundred who know Jesus, who know the stories of Jesus, who have been there as they're searching the scriptures together about his death and his resurrection. There's about a hundred who are equipped in the wisdom of God. And so you've got 3,000 new converts and you've got a hundred trained people. Let's do a little bit of basic math. Think about what's 3,000 divided by 100. Some of you are really good at math, and you should be shouting this out because this is the place where you can earn points in the sermon. 30. Thank you. 30 people. So we've got 3,000 divided by 100. We've got groups of about 30, and it says that they're meeting in homes. How does this work? Oh, wait a minute. God created what we sometimes call mid-sized groups, or what we're going to be calling here at the Open Door life groups, of about 30 people, give or take, that are meeting in homes over food, telling the stories of Jesus, praying together, digging into Scripture together, worshiping together, and they're gathering together in the temple for the large group celebrations. They're doing both and. Gathering in homes doesn't replace the need to be together with a large body of believers and have a sense of momentum about what God is doing through your church. It's interesting because I think if if God showed up, let's say God showed up this morning in a burning bush at your house and said, I have a job for you. I want you to tell the world about me. 
most of us would start thinking mass media, wouldn't we? We'd start thinking about websites and apps for smartphones, and we'd start thinking about bulletin announcements, and we'd start thinking about how do we get into that rolling video feed that's going to be before the services now so everybody at church hears about this. And we'd start thinking about newspaper ads and and radio ads and what else can we do to get the word out? Jesus did none of that. Now, I know the World Wide Web hadn't been invented yet. Smartphones weren't a thing. But they had mass media in Jesus' time. And he completely ignored it. Jesus completely ignored it. Think about what Jesus did. Since we're talking about being in homes, let's think specifically about something we don't very often talk about. How often is Jesus in people's homes? Read the stories with an eye to this, and all of a sudden it just pops up everywhere in the Gospels and throughout the New Testament. Jesus is at Simon Peter's house healing his mother-in-law who's sick of a fever. Jesus is at Matthew's house. When Matthew decides to follow Jesus, Jesus goes to Matthew's house because Matthew throws a banquet for all the other tax collectors. Jesus is in and out of Mary and Martha's house frequently, it sounds like. Jesus goes through Jericho, and Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, and he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And when the Savior passed that way, he looked up in that tree, and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going, where? To your house today. There's even a very good chance that Jesus hosted gatherings like this in a home that he may have owned. Many commentators on the Bible think that when the story of the paralytic, that four guys carry this paralytic and they can't get into Jesus because of the crowd, and so they go up on the roof and dig a hole in the roof and drop him down in the crowd in front of Jesus, that that might very well have been Jesus' own house that he owned for some time in Capernaum. We don't know for certain, but it's kind of fun to think about. And the gathering was happening in the house. In Luke 7, Jesus is in the home of Simon the leper, and they're eating dinner around the table, and a woman of ill repute comes in and anoints Jesus with perfume and scandalizes the whole crowd who's there in the house. Why did the early church meet in homes? They did what they saw Jesus doing. They just put Jesus' actions into practice. Well, this is what we saw Jesus doing, so let's do it this way. God's new normal. You see, making disciples happens not in a one hour a week presentation. Presentation is important. Don't get me wrong. But making disciples happens like catching the flu or catching a cold. It happens face to face and hand to hand and heart to heart and life to life. It happens in relationship. We shouldn't be surprised about that because our God is a God of relationship. The Bible says that God is love, which is at the heart of what it means to have relationship. Genesis to to Revelation, throughout the Scripture, God is a God of relationship. In the first chapter of Genesis, God speaks and says, Let us create human beings in our image. What do you mean, our image? Isn't there just one God? A lot of things have been written about that passage, but most commentators will say that that's probably a conversation happening within the Trinity, that it's the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, three persons but one God, speaking to one another. There's love, there's community, there's relationship within God. Oh, and we are created 
in the image of God. The end of the book of Revelation, John sees a vision of the, new, the, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven like a bride adorned for her husband. There's a relationship image for you. And he hears a voice calling out, Now the dwelling of God is with humanity. And he will be their God and they will be his people. Our God is a God of relationship and that's why this is so important. You know, if you look at how Jesus did what he did, I mean, let's just get really specific. Let's zero in really specifically the way Jesus healed blind people, okay? Let's just take one example. You figure out the ABCD behind how Jesus healed blind people and get back to me. You're not going to be able to do it. Sometimes he spits in the mud and makes mud. Sometimes he just spits. Sometimes he touches the eyes. Sometimes he just says, go wash yourself. He doesn't ever do it the same way twice. Jesus refuses to be systematized. But at the core of what he's doing, there is always, always, always a priority of loving relationship. Always. Relationships are key to what Jesus did there is a kind of community possible in home-sized gatherings. And I want to address a few of you specifically right now because some of you are still bordering on a panic attack because I said 30 people and then I said your house and you're counting your chairs and saying, I've got seven chairs. I can't do this. This isn't going to work. You know what? The Bible doesn't let you off the hook. This is the most commonly repeated phrase I've ever used when I've been talking with people about this model is stop counting chairs. There's a fantastic story in Acts 20. You can look this up later on. There's a fantastic story in Acts 20 and I really believe when when we get to meet Luke in heaven, I'm looking forward to his sense of humor because there's some things that he writes in his writings that I think are just hilarious. Acts chapter 20, Luke tells us the story of Paul traveling back along the missionary route that he's covered. And he gets back to the city of Troas. And he spends about a week there. And the last night Paul is there, Paul is one of these preachers who can't stand to leave anything on the shelf. You ever known preachers like this? And I promise I'm going to be done in just a few minutes, so I'm not that guy, right? Paul just can't stand to stop talking. And the room is so crowded, they're in an upper room on the third story of the house, and the room is so crowded that there's a young man named Eutychus. You can read this for yourself in Acts 20. Eutychus is sitting in the windowsill because there's already people sitting on the sofa and the arms of the sofa and in the stairwell and on the floor and everywhere else. So he, double duty here, Eutychus thinks, I can sit on the window seat and there'll be some fresh air to keep me awake during this interminable sermon. And he falls asleep anyway. And he falls three stories to his death. Paul goes down, raises him from the dead, gives him back to his people. Luke says, and they were greatly comforted. And then Paul goes and finishes the sermon. No, the early church was crowded. It was jammed into rooms. There were people sitting in all the possible places they could and then some. Now, the church used other ways of communicating. I want to reiterate that. The church used other ways of communicating. We've got great things going with websites and apps and bulletins and all of that. But most of the work, the heavy lifting of being the church, happened in homes. 
One of the great things that happens in these close relationships that are formed in this kind of being church together is making leaders, making disciples who become leaders as they grow into their gifts. If you want to know how leaders are made in the church, take a look at 2 Timothy 2.2. This is my favorite discipleship verse in the New Testament. 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says, The things that I've taught to you, give those things to other guys who are going to be able to teach still others. You've got four generations of discipleship in that one verse. And these are things that are passed on in person. This isn't something where you're doing the online course. This is personal relationship, passing on the teachings of Jesus into the lives of his people. You see, the early church had a central core of apostolic teaching, and that's one of the things that we get here is careful biblical interpretation, carefully thought through theological teaching, and it's critically important. But they primarily lived that out as they gathered in homes. And from those home-based relational groups, They were reaching into their own neighborhoods. They were reaching into their own communities and they were making an impact that the book of Acts says turned the world upside down with the love of Jesus. Now what might this look like at the open door? These are things that are a few months down the road, but you're going to be hearing more about them. This fall, you're going to hear a lot about something called the Alpha Course. And some of you have experienced Alpha. It's been done for the last 30 years probably all across the world in Christian churches of every stripe. It's focused simply on Jesus and who he is and what it means to have a relationship with him in a biblical way. And we'll be doing Alpha here at the Open Door this fall. And Alpha is going to become an on-ramp because Alpha draws people into relationship with Jesus, draws people into the biblical word, and draws people into intentional, Jesus-focused community. And Alpha is going to become an on-ramp into these mid-sized groups, into these life groups. And you'll be hearing more about those coming up in the next few months. It's exciting. I tell you what, the idea that we get to meet together and we get to live out the love of Jesus in relationship with each other in a way that impacts the world around us, I don't know anything better than that. I don't know anything greater or more transformative than that. You know, honestly, part of what happens when we get into homes is it gets past our walls, doesn't it? Literally and figuratively, because as I described what it's like to go to church, let's be honest, you've been where I've been, right? That moment when you get out of the car and you put your church face on because the argument that got you here can't come in the door of the church. How are you? Fine, how are you? Yeah, you come to my house and the first thing I say is, I'm sorry, it's a mess. And my life is a little bit like that. I'm sorry, it's a mess. But you know what? You get inside and you start to relate to people as they really are instead of as they wish you thought they were. And we begin to let Jesus have free reign in our lives in a new way. I'm excited to walk this road with you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, have your way with us. Build your kingdom here. Be the church through us and in us and around us that impacts the world with the power of your spirit. 
In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Matea is turning 23 today, so I'm pretty excited about that. She's a doctoral student out in Seattle, so she's not here. Uh, but we had a chance to celebrate back in March when she was here as uh, part of her spring break. One of the conversations we had fits into this, what does it mean to be at home? She's a psychology student, which is a little uncomfortable sometimes for dad because she sees some things pretty clearly. And one day we're talking and she said, you know, dad, I think every one of us is like a bedroom. We have these lives and we keep the bed made and we keep the side table dusted and you keep the nice little succulent plant there on the nightstand. And you let people in and they say, oh, you have a lovely room. She said, then we each have this closet. And she said, Dad, every one of us piles stuff up in our closet that we don't want to deal with. We just throw it in there and think later on I'll unpack that. But, Dad, I think you're a little different. I think you kind of put stuff in there and then you drywall over it so it doesn't even look like there's a door there. Yeah. You know, one of the things that happens for us when we talk about church happening at home, Jesus wants to get past our walls. And so some of this stuff that's happening with church coming to home, coming to your house and mine, is, is months down the road. But you know what? This week, I want to encourage you just to let Jesus into those closet places, just to let Jesus into those relationships that are maybe a little broken and uncomfortable, just to let Jesus into those habits that you can't seem to kick. Give him free reign. Open the doors and invite him in and say, you know what, Lord, this all belongs to you. I completely belong to you. Whatever you want to do, I'm yours. Thanks for being here this morning. Don't forget about prayer ministry after the service back in the back corner. we got one more song. Let's praise God together.